Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston. Uh, Matt, what's going on? Not much. Enjoying some coffee on this beautiful Friday morning here in Portland. How are you, Jake? I am doing well. Uh, I've already had my coffee because it is 11.51 where I am. Uh, Still in the morning, though, so I will probably have another coffee. But um, we're doing a a rare morning podcast uh, for us, which is kind of cool. But what I wanted to lead off with here is that lots of good stuff and lots of unexpected things uh, have been happening to the Red Sox lately. Um, It's a happy podcast. What's that? It's a happy podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's something that we don't always have, and I feel like I'm definitely guilty of uh, you know, trying to see the negatives too often. But, um, yeah, w- what we've got going on here today is pretty cool. Um, the Red Sox have been playing pretty good baseball lately. They find themselves only about three games out of first place right now. Um, and, you know, I've been tweeting about this on Twitter, but – a lot of the interesting things that have been occurring are sort of weird stuff. So Brian Johnson coming up here and out of nowhere throwing a complete game shutout uh, was completely odd. I think he was as surprised as anybody that he did that. Um, Devin Marrero hit two home runs in a single game this past week. Um, Just after uh, Brett and I had finished completely destroying Drew Pomerantz on a podcast here, he goes out and throws his two best games of the year back-to-back. We had the return of David Price. Uh, We have the return of Pablo Sandoval. 
and then finally, to give us a little bit of bad news, we have a DL stint for Pedroia, but the good news there is that it doesn't seem like Pedroia has any significant damage to uh, his wrist. So uh, overall, pretty pretty awesome stuff going on here. Um, like I said, the Red Sox are three games back of the Yankees right now. Um, they're currently only a half game ahead of the Orioles, who they're playing a four-game set against this week. Um, and then they'll actually go up against the Yankees uh, right after that. So this is going to be kind of a crazy week where they travel to Baltimore and then straight to the Bronx. So uh, there's yeah, going to be a whole lot of uh, good baseball to watch. Yeah, for sure. That's a tough set, too. I think the Orioles haven't – I mean, the Red Sox haven't uh, beat the Orioles in Baltimore um, since uh, – I don't know. It's been it's been a long, long time. I heard I think uh, like Alex Spear talking about when it was, and I think it's it's been like much longer than you than you think, like 2005 or something, something crazy like that. Um, maybe he was talking about four game series, but um, winning in Baltimore seems to be something that's incredibly difficult for the Red Sox to do. Uh, you know, so any time in the last decade. Yeah, it's uh, it's not an easy place to play, that's for sure. And Eddie got a little bit of a. Uh, uh, a view of that yesterday he typically has pitched pretty well against the Orioles but um, yesterday he did fall in the bullpen before his start and you know he says that that didn't really affect him too much but then he went out and uh, gave up four home runs uh, yesterday which was very uncharacteristic Um, fun fact about Eddie Rodriguez uh, up until yesterday he had made seven straight quality starts Um, so that just goes to show Um, how well Eduardo Rodriguez has been pitching. And really, this whole rotation, which was looking like a a bit of a question mark after the first two, three guys, has really solidified uh, lately. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, Matt, and, you know, kind of how that solidified? And we've kind of seen the fruits of that. Um, Aside from yesterday's loss, uh, the Red Sox had won six straight starting on the 21st all the way through the 27th. Then they dropped two and won two more in a row, uh, winning the set against uh, the the Chicago White Sox. So the Red Sox have been playing really, really good baseball uh, as of the last month, and that scoring has been up too. So, uh, but I think maybe maybe the biggest thing here is that a perceived strength of the team coming into the year was the starting pitching, and we finally have that healthy now. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, I think was the foundation to. Uh, you know, to this this particular iteration of the Red Sox. You know, when David Ortiz retired, um, we all kind of looked at the team and thought, all right, well, you know, they're due for an offensive step back anyway, and they just lost their best hitter. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, Nebraska went out and traded, um, you know, probably their, their best or at least their highest ceiling offensive prospect for uh, Chris Sale, along with other prospects also. Um, so it was sort of like going all in on on the starting rotation, um, you know, adding Sale to to Price and Porcello, the reigning Cy Young winner, um, you know, Rodriguez and Pomerantz, who they, uh, you know, famously traded a, a really good uh, starting pitching prospect for, uh, albeit one in, in the low minors. But but that looked to be a really promising uh, rotation. And, and then, you know, you get uh, – you get Price's injury, um, you get Pomerantz, uh, you know, stepping back, you get Porcello stepping back, um, and Stephen Wright uh, gets hurt and misses the year, and all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, three guys, um, one of whom is, I don't think struggling is the right term for Porcello, but 
you know, he, he wasn't the, the 2016 version of himself, which, you know, probably most reasonable fans were not expecting to see again anyway. But, um, but you're right. So then this, this week, I mean, it, it the Red Sox kind of went into this week with three starting pitchers. Um, and then Brian Johnson came up and, and threw a brilliant game. Um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, it's hard to take much away from, from one start. You know, I don't think we think any different, uh, of Eduardo Rodriguez after giving up four homers to the Orioles than we do, uh, or than we should have before. Um, and, you know, I think Johnson is, is sort of, a little different because we have so, you know so much less to look at. Um, you know he was a first round pick. Um, he was kind of expected to have the ceiling of a four or five starter anyway. He doesn't have stuff that'll blow you away. Um, you know he he barely scrapes ninety miles an hour. He just throws a lot of different pitches and he throws them. You know hopefully uh, <laughs> if he's if he's effective. He throws them to different spots, um, you know, in the strike zone. Yeah, when he's good, location has been one of the biggest things that has helped him get through the the low minors and up to where he is now. Right, um, but uh, you know, then he he got hit. Uh, actually, got hit on the mound in, in Fenway. I think uh, was it the Futures game where he got hit in the face, or Triple A All Star game? I forget. I can't remember. Yeah, um, but he he sustained a, an injury. He got hit in the face, I think, with a ball. Um, off the bat of somebody at Fenway, and uh, you know, and, and then later on he, he struggled with some um, some some uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, he, he had he had issues with anxiety. That's the word. Um, and uh, anyway, so it, it's you know he was kind of off the table for the Red Sox for for a long time, um, and it was sort of you know unclear when he would be back and you know it's a really good time for him to him to step back and 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 you know be that be the depth the Red Sox uh you know have have sorely missed um because at the same time while you know we're being happy and um you know excited about the state of the rotation I don't think David Price is a sure thing uh he came back throwing 95 um faster than his uh you know his average velocity from last year, which is which is nice, um, but he he does he still has this injury. Like it's not going away. It's it's not going to. It's not the kind of thing where it's just going to heal. He's got it, and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not a doctor, so um, I'm glad we prefaced that. Well, you know when. It's almost like if you're going to be a baseball analyst now, you almost have to be a doctor. <laughs> There's just all this different stuff going on, but um, with players' bodies. But um, but my understanding of, of the injury Price has is that it's going to um, it's going to minimize his ability to command his pitches. Um, right, because there's and, no movement in that ligament. Yeah, uh, he's not going to be able to be quite as specific with where he throws the ball as he uh, as he has been in the past. And Price has great stuff, um, so he can get away with that to some extent. And I think we saw that last year. Um, but you know, the the fact that he not only had great stuff but could also spot it where he wanted to—that's what made him, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I have my doubts as to whether or not that pitcher is going to show up um, at all 
pre-surgery. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair to 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 kind of guess right now that maybe we don't get that particular guy. But right from looking at very early pitch data from the one game that he did pitch uh, against Chicago, uh, he certainly wasn't throwing like an injured pitcher, meaning that his velocities yeah. were all really good and that he was also mixing a lot of his pitches. He threw 34% four seams, uh, almost 16% sinkers, nearly 30% cutters, which is not something you'd expect from a guy who's trying to protect his arm, um, almost 7% curveballs, and 13.6% change-ups. So he was really doing a pretty good job of mixing his pitches, which I think is something that he probably wasn't doing a whole lot of in AAA as he was trying to get his fastball command going. So I think there are some some legitimate reasons to be enthusiastic that maybe he was able to heal this thing enough that he can be effective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was effective. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't the world's greatest start, but it, it's, you know, as far as coming off of two minor league outings that, you know, really made him look like he deserved a third minor league outing, um, you know, he pitched as well as I think anyone could ask. Um, I think he is going to be susceptible to leaving pitches out over the plate occasionally, more so than he has in his career typically. And I think that's likely what's going to hurt him uh, going forward. But, you know, he clearly has the velocity. Um, you know, he still has overall, uh, you know, control of his pitches. He wasn't throwing, um, you know, it, it wasn't like when we've watched, uh, you know, Pomerantz throw these non-competitive pitches that just go, uh, you know, two feet up over the strike zone. Um, you know, there weren't many of those pitches at all from Price. He was right around the strike zone. He was throwing a lot of strikes. So, um, and, you know, as far as what the Red Sox themselves actually need from Price, I mean, yes, it would be great to have Cy Young, David Price, along with, you know, Cy Young, Rick Porcello and Cy Young, Chris Sale. That would be awful nice. Um, and considering the, you know, the overall state of the Red Sox offense, that would make them an elite team. But that's maybe asking for too much, uh, and, and it's probably not realistic. So, um, you know, if, if Price can can be a number three on this team, I think then that's uh, that's a great thing. Uh, um, if he can do five days, if he can do his, his, an impression of basically what Rick Porcello is doing right now for the Red Sox, not even like Ace Rick Porcello, but what he's doing right now, going out and pitching, you know, deeper into games and throwing decently, I think that that would do a whole lot to stabilize the rotation. But I think that there is a little bit more upside here than maybe we're giving credit for. Like, yeah, sure, there's the flip side that this could all go wrong in a hurry and that he could realize that, hey, this thing isn't getting better. His command's all over the place and he's hurt and, you know, he goes under surgery and then Brian Johnson is actually somebody we have to talk about as part of the rotation for the rest of the year. But there's also a really good chance that David Price comes up and he starts to pitch like David Price after a couple of these. And then the Red Sox are in a extremely enviable position uh, going forward. So I think, you know, we're really not going to know. I think that the Red Sox are going to have so many questions answered uh, by the time the All-Star break rolls around. You know, what the hell is Pablo Sandoval? What's going on with David Price? Uh, is the change that we've seen from Drew Pomerantz real? Um, and that's probably the next thing we should talk about here. Um, but there's just so many questions here that still remain unanswered with two solid months plus of baseball that we've already seen. Um, 
I want to get to Drew Pomerantz here for a second, though, because one of the things that we've seen from Pomerantz over the last two starts that have been very, very different is an increased usage of his cutter. Uh, it is a pitch that he threw quite a bit when he was with San Diego, and he made the all-star team right before he came over, and it is a pitch that apparently he has not been throwing because he felt like his arm wasn't all that healthy. However, he decided to throw it the last two outings to the tune of 17.6% uh, against Texas and 12.9% uh, versus Chicago, and he achieved awesome uh, results uh, with those two things. So what do you make of this new change from Drew Pomerantz, and is this a sign that he has really turned the corner for you? I mean, it's always encouraging when a guy has a good start and there's a reason for it, you know? Like, if you look at Brian Johnson's start, it was really nice to see him on the mound, and the Red Sox desperately need somebody who can step in when they need someone to step in. But I don't think there's any reason to think that Brian Johnson is going to continue to throw, you know, scoreless innings going forward, you know. Um, he's going to be a four-and-a-half ERA guy because that's what his stuff and that's what his ability dictates, you know. Right. Um, but – yeah, when when a guy goes out there and pitches really well and it's, you know, he's doing something differently, you can at least now that's not a guarantee. I mean, um, but you can at least point to it and say, "Okay, this makes sense now." Like like we're doing, right? So Pomerantz was basically a two-pitch pitcher uh before. He was throwing fastballs and curveballs. And there's a reason that <clears throat> excuse me, there's a reason that you uh that that people typically say, "Well, you can't be a starting pitcher unless you have three pitches um it's because you're you're going through a lineup multiple times guys are seeing those pitches a lot and you know that they, they once they see it um you know they'll start to hit it and you need you need a different kind of pitch to 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 uh, you know to, to throw off timing and and, and uh throw off a throw off a major league hitter um the other problem is that if you happen to not have one of those pitches working that day then you're in big trouble right. um if you can't command so, one of them, all of a sudden you're walking everybody. Yeah, exactly. Or or you're just throwing one pitch and everybody knows it. Right. Which is even worse than walking everybody. Um, so you know the fact that Pomeranz is throwing his cutter again, uh, you know, and and having success with it, that's I think that's huge. Uh, it it sort of indicates also um, that you know he's feeling better. Right. Um, part of the reason that he wasn't using it, like you said, is because. Um, you know, he, he was concerned about his arm. Um, and so either he said, you know, screw it. I don't care about my arm, which is unusual. Uh, you wouldn't expect that. Um, or he's feeling better and he feels like he can, he can throw a cutter again, which is, you know, basically like somewhere in between a fastball and a slider, um, a little harder than a slider, a little more movement than a fastball. Um, so yeah, I think that's really promising. I mean, he's clearly, uh, He's, he's clearly a different pitcher when he's got that pitch working. Um, you know, it, he doesn't have, you know, high heat like, uh, like sale or, um, or price when price is on. I mean, even Eduardo Rodriguez can get the ball up to 95, 96. Um, but you don't, you know, ever see that from Pomerantz, um, because he just, he just doesn't throw that hard. So I think, uh, you know, a cutter really helps people, uh, keep hitters off of his fastball. Um, and that's that's huge. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 very excited about 
uh, about him going forward if if he can stay healthy enough to still be able to throw this pitch and throw it well then uh, then that's that's very promising I mean especially you know given the state of the Red Sox offense um, you know they really do need to have five good starting pitchers um, they're they're not you know the the great team that I thought they might be um, at least not yet because the offense hasn't showed up and the pitching hasn't been um, you know, dominant to that extent. So, uh, but that's, you know, Pomerantz adding this, you know, or re-adding this pitch is, is incredibly promising and, and a step in the, in the right direction for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, that the game scores that we're seeing for these last two games are much more in line than w- with what we saw, uh, when he was in San Diego, uh, just to give you an idea, the last two game scores he pitched were 73 and 65 respectively, um, and before he came over to the Red Sox, he was looking at 75, 79, uh, 81, 73, 56. So he was like right in the range that he's in right now um, yeah. f- for those games. So this is certainly much more uh, similar to that, which is a good thing. So we've got stability in the rotation, which is a good thing. And at the same time as the Red Sox are starting to get a little bit more healthy in the field with getting Pablo Sandoval back, uh, we had the unfortunate uh, weird incident where Pedroia kind of crashes into Jose Abreu, uh, hurts his wrist, but he seemed to avoid any long-term damage to that, which is a huge um, plus considering the history that he's had with wrist injuries. But what this leaves the Red Sox with right now is a situation where um, Pablo is back. However, there isn't really a great place to put him. So the way that this is going to work out is Pablo is going to play third base um, versus right-handed pitching. Um, Marrero is going to play third versus lefties. And Rutledge is going to presumably get almost everyday playing time uh, at second base while this is going on. Um, it's interesting, and I'm not sure how long this is going to last. You know, if if um, Pablo comes up and the first time that he plays third base, because he still hasn't done so yet, he started off at DH his first game back. Um, if he comes up and he's just a butcher at third base again, I think that they're going to turn back to Morero, and I don't think that uh, Pablo is going to get much more than subbing in. Uh, at DH from time to time because Marrero has done wonders for stabilizing that position defensively. Um, And the bat hasn't been a complete zero, which is kind of shocking considering he was the worst player uh, with the bat in AAA over the last couple seasons. So, um, well, let's, let's hold off on, I mean, he had one game where he hit two home runs um, and that was awesome. Sure. Um, I'm not saying he's changed his offensive profile at all. But I'm just saying that, like, it's nice to see that he hasn't sure. been a complete zero up with the big club, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been a replacement player, you know? Right. He's been neither a positive nor a negative, and, and with that's including those two home runs. I mean, without those, he's been a negative. I mean, his, his defense is fine. I, I'm not blown away by his defense. Um, I mean, he's not really a third baseman. So, you know, in fairness to him, this is the Red Sox putting him in a position where he's not completely familiar. Um, and, you know, he's he's working hard at it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive that he's been playable there. Um, I think it speaks well to his defensive abilities. But he's he's clearly not you know, a great third base, I don't think. Um, and 
you know, his his offense is pretty putrid, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even with those home runs, he's striking out 30% of his time, 30% of the time. He's barely walking. He's hitting 176, 222, and slugging 338 because he hit those two home runs in the uh, 73 plate appearances. Um, and, uh, you know, that's pretty similar to what he was doing in AAA. Um, my cat is here, and she's going to try to talk about Devin Marrero too. Um, so, I, you know, there's been talk about, you know, Marrero being uh, – you know, sort of finding himself at the major league level, he's going to have to do more than hit two home runs in a game to, uh, you know, to make that case. I think I think he's sort of bizarrely, uh, you know, put himself through, a, you know, luck, I guess, uh, or is in a situation where he may have that chance to, to prove that. Um, but I haven't seen anything from him really yet that, that uh, indicates that he's a major league hitter. Um, you know, even like I said, even with those home runs, his his batting line is terrible. Hopefully that changes. Um, you know, we'll see. He's going to get a chance. Let me ask you this: um, What do you think about the fact that he has come up here and um, not committed any errors at the position at a position where the Red Sox uh, do lead baseball in terms of errors committed? Um, how much value do you put in that? Obviously, I think we're in agreement that this bat is, you know, going to be close to zero and is going to be a negative contribution um, in, in that particular category. But how much value do you put on that, considering that the Red Sox, you know, I don't know how much th- third base defense is important, but I guess what I'm asking you to do is weigh. Um, not making any errors at third base, which is what's currently happening with Devin Marrero, versus having better offensive production there, presumably with Pablo Sandoval, um, over you know a, a long period of time. Well, first of all, I'm showing that Marrero has one error. One error. Okay, I missed that one. That I mean, you know, uh, um, I I don't think it's a huge difference. I, you know, again, I think. Um, like in, in a comparison, I think both. I mean, both players have a lot, um, you know, to prove. You know, uh, Sandoval is a a guy who has been an above-average offensive player for most of his career, but you know, not recently. And you know, he's coming off of a lost season, and he, um, you know, it, it's been what three years since he's been an above-average player offensively. Um, and probably defensively too, although maybe even longer than that for his defense. So, um, yeah, I can't I can't claim to be overly optimistic about either one of them. But the good news is, you know, the Red Sox have a lot of other position players who are above average, um, and so you can carry a guy who is below average or at average, um, certainly for a little while, and you know, for most of the season, as, as long as um, you know, those other positions hold. So that's, you know, part of the reason that Pedroia's injury hurts. Um, and hopefully it's just a short term thing and isn't, uh, you know, uh, because the Red Sox really can't afford to run out, you know, two below average guys in the infield. Does um, it change anything for you that the Red Sox only ground into? 40.4% of double plays, which is 
sort of the the third lowest rate. I mean, uh, not double plays. They only create 40.4% ground balls. So amongst all teams in baseball, they rank 28th. So they're not putting the, the ball on the ground as much as other teams. Does that change anything for you? Well, I mean, the strength of the Red Sox defense is, at least coming into the year, you know, you, you would think uh, that, that it That's would... the pitching, sorry. The, that's what they're inducing from a pitching right, standpoint. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. – sorry, I needed to clarify that. No, no, you, that's I, I, that was clear to me. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, I mean, your point is that uh, you know the the infield is not as important because they're the pitching is not giving up a ton of ground balls. Correct. Yeah, they're not a team like the Padres who creates forty nine point eight percent ground balls, or even the Astros who's in that forty nine percent range. I mean, these guys they they have a lot of fly ball pitchers on this team. So I'm wondering if that changes the importance of the defense a little bit. I mean, a, a little bit, um, but, um, you know, I mean, Porcello is at least in theory a ground ball pitcher. You know, Price and Rodriguez um, are not. Those are fly – and I guess Pomerantz, too, is a fly ball guy also. Um, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on, you know, the, the constitution of the of the starting rotation going forward if, if they can remain healthy. But, you know, you're still looking at – a large percentage of of balls hit into the infield, whether you're talking about 40 point what percent or 49 percent on the other end, um, you know, it minimizes but doesn't um, doesn't completely rid you of of you know the importance of that uh, of um, you know infield defense. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but I you know in a, in a way it's it's good because the Red Sox. The strength of their um, their defense is is in the outfield. You know, certainly with Bradley and Betts and Benintendi, if if Benintendi starts hitting again, <laughs> um, he will. He will. Yeah, he will. I, I'm uh, so confident in that guy. That's that's one of those things that I'm just not putting any mental anguish in. And it seems like Jackie Bradley Jr. has also managed to come out of his slump in a, in a little bit of a more timely fashion. Um, than he typically does. And I was encouraged yesterday by that home run that he had off of Brad Brack with, you know, the in the ninth inning, it didn't end up being all that consequential to the game, but it still cut the lead from seven, uh, from, uh, I think it was, what was it at that point? Seven uh, to two. Seven and seven to two. Was it, was it a three run shot? Yeah. Um, so it made it seven to five, which, you know, was, was interesting. I started to, to pay attention to my TV a little bit more, but I think that, <laughs> Overall, the, the Red Sox have a lot fewer questions right now than they did, say, even a month ago. Even with all this stuff going on with the less-than-ideal uh, infield right now, and I think a large part of that certainly is the pitching. Interestingly enough, uh, Fangraphs likes the Red Sox to win the division by three games at this point still. Um, baseball prospectus is a little bit more conservative. They have the Sox finishing one game back of the Yankees right now, but still making the playoffs. Which of these views are you kind of more in line with right now? That's a good question. I mean, that's a four-game swing. I, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think my, my guess is that, you know, um, the projections probably – aren't buying Luis Severino as a, you know, top starter and, um, you know, Aaron judge is still a young guy with a, you know, a, a little track record. So they're not expecting him to be the AL MVP. And like a 450 uh, BABIP. 
right. Um, although, you know, he's hitting everything at 150 miles per hour, so there's not <laughs> – that's part of the reason for that. I still like, – uh, I, I don't buy that guy. I know, like, he's he's definitely better than we thought he was, but this is absurd, right? Like, what's, what's a realistic point for Aaron Judge? Like, wh- where do you think he is with a year's baseball under his belt from, from this point on? What, what, what would be your comp? For this guy, uh, yeah, I'm really I don't... throwing you on the spot right now. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, his his BABIP is crazy, uh, crazy high. You know, I mean, everything about him, you know, is crazy high. His height is crazy high. Um, I mean, he's hitting. Like, if you look at, you know, Fangraphs breaks out the the, the batted ball by soft, medium, and hard. Um, and his hard percentage is almost fifty percent, which is crazy. Sorry. His soft percentage is below 15%. Um, you know, he's he's pulling the ball a lot, which, you know, adds to that. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, with, with young players, and, you know, he's pretty young, he's 25, um, you know, it takes the league a little while to adjust. And we're, you know, this is June 2nd right now. So, um you know, maybe maybe there's some holes in his his swing that have yet to be uh, figured out by by the league's pitching staffs. Um, the other thing is sometimes guys just get really hot for a while. We saw that last year for um, another young Yankee, um, you know, uh, Gary Sanchez, oh, yeah. who was Babe Ruth for two and a half months and and almost won the uh, the the Rookie of the Year just based on that. Um, yeah, see, I don't believe in either of those things, the, either last year's Gary Sanchez or this year's Aaron Judge. And I'm not just being a, a Yankee hater here, um, which, you know, I, I think everybody listening to this would be okay if I was, but I'm really not. <laughs> I mean, just, just there's nothing in their minor league profiles to say that they're these players. Um, and typically, um, typically the league adjusts, and it adjusts in a in a very unforgiving way. So... I'm kind of more with the Fangraphs projection here. I mean, I feel really good about the Red Sox, the way that their rotation matches up with the Yankees. And offensively, if you take the craziness of Aaron Judge and Aaron Hicks and some of these things that I just don't think are going to keep up, uh, you know, if, if you take those out of the equation, I could easily see a four-game swing with the Red Sox. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too long ago that we were saying, oh, the Yankees are, what, four and a half games in front of the Red Sox, and they cut that to two games before this most recent set against the White Sox. So um, I I could see it happening pretty easily. We still have over a half of baseball left. Yeah, there's a long a long way to go still. Um, you know, and if, if Sandoval is, is healthy and can play some defense, I think he's going to hit okay um, just based on what I've seen this year. He's making solid contact a lot of the time. He's not going to walk. We knew that going in. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to hit uh, a little bit, certainly. I think he can be an average hitter, which is fine. Um, you know, he's going to have some power. He's going to hit some doubles and some singles. Um, he's going to give you a whole lot more offensively than, you know, Marrero or Holt or Rutledge will. Um, so hopefully his defense holds and, and that um, – I've got a cat sticking her claws into my knee um sorry the things i go through to podcast um so hopefully uh, sandoval can play the position defensively you know but i think there's there's more upside for the red sox offense um 
you know, Benintendi, like you, you mentioned, Bradley's coming around. You know, Hanley Ramirez, it, it feels like he hasn't really hit that well this year. No, uh, he certainly hasn't. Um, He's pulling that, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the real numbers. Okay. Yeah. He hasn't. I mean, the you know, on base is fine. Um, you know, he's been walking more, which is great. Um, but, you know, the power just hasn't quite been there. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that comes around too. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think there's some, there's some upside left with the Red Sox. Uh, although I have to say, I'm not convinced Christian Vasquez is a, a 300 hitter. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Mitch Moreland also is, is having a, having quite the season, which I certainly didn't expect. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, although, um, I don't know how, uh, how I feel about it going forward. I mean, this is a guy who hit, I mean, last year in Texas of all places, he had 233, 298 and slugged 422. Yeah, he's sort of alternated good and bad seasons over the course of his career. But, you know, I, I made this point going into this season that, like, he's he is kind of a 300 OBP guy. Like, that's what he's been over the course of his career. So I would expect yeah. some regression towards that. I do think that there, there is an element of his swing being more tailored towards Fenway Park than maybe it was even in Texas, which is a nice hitting environment. But... I don't well, his know. walk rate is, is, you know, for him through the roof. He's walking almost 13% of his plate appearances, which he hasn't done since he played 47 games for the Rangers in 2010 as a rookie. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if that's sustainable, but it's doubtful. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Guys, guys make advances, and uh, you know, maybe he's maybe he's turned a, uh, you know, turned over a new leaf as far as plate discipline goes. I. You know, we, we've certainly seen it this year from from some pretty odd sources, uh, but uh, uh, I don't know that it's something I want to count on. Um, but in any case, um, you know, ultimately, I, where, where were we going with all this? Were we still talking about infield defense versus outfield defense? And then I got off onto we were talking about the Yankees. And, or yeah, we, uh, you, you went off on a little bit of a tangent, Matt, but, but, that. but that's okay. <laughs> Um, it was all good stuff. Let, let me let me bring us back to the mean here. Please do. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so I, at first I want to talk about the, uh, the, the six pitching matchups that the Red Sox have coming up against Baltimore and the Yankees because this is just such an important six-game stretch that we're going to see uh, starting tonight. Um, and I think the Red Sox should be favored in a lot of these games considering who they're trotting out on the mound and considering that that's now a pretty significant strength of the team. Um, tonight they're getting Porcello versus Asher. I think Porcello definitely gets the nod there. Um, the next night they have Price versus Bundy. Uh, I think you give the, the slight edge to Bundy there. Um, Sale versus Tillman, huge nod for Sale. Then we get to the Bronx, Pomerantz versus Tanaka. You have to feel pretty good about Pomerantz, especially considering Tanaka's been one of the worst pitchers uh, in baseball this league. Um, Rodriguez versus Sabathia. As long as he's healthy, I feel good about that matchup. And then Porcello versus Pineda, which I think is pretty much a toss-up, and that is going to be the uh, ESPN Thursday night game on June 8th. So um, you have to like the way that things are kind of shaping up for the Red Sox. Even though they are on the road, I feel really good about a lot of these matchups. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that you can ever predict a game based on the pitching matchup, um then I, I agree with you. Uh, I, you know, you might be underselling Pineda a little bit. He's been fantastic this year. 
um, ground balls, strikeouts, few yeah. walks. Um, 332 ERA, 104 whip with 66 Ks. Yeah, he's been yeah. very, very good. Yeah. The, the only thing is I think uh, he's been victim of some home runs. Um, I, I never know exactly uh, how much to put into that, you know, especially, you know, below 60 innings at this point and he pitches in yankee stadium and we've seen that you know infield pop-ups sometimes go over the right field fence in yankee stadium right um that stadium is so annoying uh it's it's almost as annoying to me as the trop um it's that annoying to me anyway um i think that uh i think pineda is 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 pretty promising they you know pineda and severino at the top of their uh, rotation is is a big reason that they uh, you know that they are where they are, but but yeah, I mean the Red Sox certainly uh, you know with the strength of their rotation like you were talking about before, Jake, they are go you know going to be competitive in any game, um, and that's that's huge. And you know we've we've seen all the stats about you know how the Red Sox have been really good in games started by you know Sale, Porcello, and Rodriguez, and the other you know, and, and terrible in game started by, you know, anyone name, else. Yeah. Name your seventh starter here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very promising for, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the Red Sox starting to string some wins together and, and maybe uh, move up towards the, or into the top spot in the division and, and even add some, uh, add some distance between themselves and whoever's in second. Absolutely. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to a really exciting segment that we have here, um, because finally, for the first time um, in almost a year and a half of doing this show, um, we have listener questions. Yay! Um, people have figured out how to submit listener questions uh, to our, our box. So let me just tell everybody how to do that again. Um, you just go on to BP Boston, click on any of the Red Seat podcasts, and then there's a little Google submit question box that pops up. You could submit a question there, and it pops right to my sheet, and I can read it. Um, so we have two of these, Matt. Um, first one I'm going to give you is uh, a late question that we hadn't answered for a while because we thought no one was using this. Um, <laughs> but uh, now they are, so please flood your questions in. Um, this one comes from April 27th, but I think it's still irrelevant. William Abel says, uh, would playing small ball for the first time ever be the populist answer to the Homer drought? Uh, so I think May we kind of cleaned up the – well, maybe not the Homer drought. Well, we kind of did. Um, but certainly the run scored drought. They scored almost six runs a game in May. But um, we were kind of talking about this a little bit off air. Isn't – small ball-ish type stuff, what the Red Sox kind of intend to do with the roster makeup? Uh, ish, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, you know, this is never going to be a team, you know, with the money the Red Sox spend and the ballpark they play in and the league they play in, you know, this is never going to be a, um, a team that does a ton of sacrifice bunting, hitting and, hitting and running. Um, it's it's just not there, there's just no reason to do that it's self-defeating strategies um you know they're going to score more runs by not doing that sort of stuff um that said um this iteration of the red sox uh is less home run dependent um 
and I'm putting that in a in a positive light. Home runs are actually really good, guys. Uh, they are very like good. Them. Yeah. Uh, well, when they're uh, when they're deployed by your team instead of at your team, but um, but anyway, yeah. So you know when, when uh, the, this iteration of the Red Sox is less home run dependent, I was saying, I think, and uh, you know that means that they string a lot of hits together to, to score runs. Um, they they I think they're fourth, or they were as of uh, Wednesday, fourth in the league in singles. Um, or maybe it was second. Anyway, they're they're to the uh, towards the top of the league in in, in singles. Um, you know, we have seen them do a lot of of trying to steal, um, but you know their lineup is relatively deep. They don't do a ton of sacrificing. Although you know, Devin Marrero, if uh, if he stays in there, you know, I think we've seen him lay a bunt down. Um, and we may do, uh, you know, see that again. You will not but, find me complaining about him bunting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think before the season, you might've said that, you know, Vasquez would be a, a candidate to do that too, towards the end of the lineup. Um, he's had a lot of success at the plate this year, sort of surprisingly. Uh, again, I don't know how sustainable that is, but, um, you know, as long as he's getting hits, I don't think you're going to see him lay a, lay a, a bunt down, a sack down. So, um, but you know, I, I do think that because the Red Sox aren't hitting home runs the way that they used to, um, you know, we have seen them try to steal some bases, um, this year. And I think that you will continue to see that going forward there. You know, it's a, a relatively young team. They've got a decent amount of speed for, for a Red Sox roster for sure. So, I think there'll definitely be some more stolen bases in the future. Um, and we've seen, we've seen a little bit of hit and run. Uh, so I think that also may be something I know, you know, John Farrell loves that sort of stuff. And on the whole, I don't think it does anything. <laughs> um, you know, in a given instance, it, it will do something, but over the course of the season, I don't think it adds anything. And they, but, they are an excellent base running team, though. I mean, there are a few guys specifically stand out. I mean, uh, Xander Bogarts is one of the better base runners in the entire game, and I think Mookie Betts is a really good base runner. They've, they've got some guys who can run the bases. Yeah, they really do. Uh, and those are guys that are hitting at the top of the lineup, too. So once you get the guys going behind them, like Hanley Ramirez, that's going to – I think that's really going to add – you know, some more, uh, some more runs, some more excitement to, to the team. Yeah. And what they essentially proved to me in, in May, at least is that like all of the stats that we were seeing before the offense kind of broke out, which is that they were a high contact, a high on base team, all these things that were pointing towards them being better. They can definitely succeed without being overly reliant on the, uh, home run ball. So, uh, you know, overall, I, I think it's, uh, it's pretty positive, and while they might not be exactly a small ball team, they can certainly be proficient offensively without, you know, hitting a homer every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so let's get to the next question here, which is uh, incredibly timely, uh, considering what you just wrote today. Um, this question comes from Ryan. This is from a month later, so on the 27th of May. Um and he says, why do we ground into so many double plays? Uh, and luckily, um, Matt has just written an article called How Detracting Are the Double Plays? 
uh, <laughs> which came out today, June 2nd. So, um, Matt, go for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, anyone who wants to uh, can certainly go on BP Boston uh, right now, and it's the lead article there. So if you want the 1,200-word uh, version, that is, uh, that's where to find it. But I think the short version is a lot of the stuff that we've just talked about. You know the Red Sox don't hit for power the way they do, uh, way they did. So there's a lot of guys on first base, and that's the big, you know that's the starting point for any double play. Um, the other thing is the Red Sox are very good at getting on base. So they get a lot of walks, they get a lot of hits, and so you're you've got you know again lots of guys on first base, um, and they hit the ball on the ground a lot. So again, <laughs> there's a lot of guys on first base. And there's a lot of ground balls. Some of those are going to go for hits. And we're going to see those exciting plays where Mookie goes from first to third or even on sometimes some uh, some occasions first to home. Uh, but sometimes uh, that's not going to happen. Sometimes the ground ball is going to go right at the second baseman or the shortstop, and that's going to be a double play. So um, we've seen that a lot. Uh, as of this point in time, the Red Sox do lead baseball uh, in double plays. Uh, in my article, I tried to, to come up with some ways to maybe minimize the double plays, but it's really hard to do given the construction of the lineup. You know, the Red Sox just don't have a lot of players like the like the Orioles do. You know, Mark Trumbo's, Chris Davis's, guys who hit doubles or home runs or strike out. You know, they they have a lot of guys who are, you know, walking or singling or grounding out. And so that just lends itself to to that kind of double plays, um, to hitting into double plays. The Red Sox have had a lot of situations. Uh, baseball prospectus tracks the number of potential ground into double plays uh, situ situations um, that each team has. And the Red Sox, I forget if they're fifth. I think they're top five in putting themselves in those situations, and they're also towards the top in terms of actually hitting into them as well. So that's – I think you know, as far as the um, you know, the answer to the question is that they're not going to go away. Um, this is part of the construction of this offense, sort of the downside of, of the way that this team is put together offensively. I don't think that it's a problem. I mean, the you know, grounding into, into a double play in any individual instance is is not good. That's how you kill an inning, how you prevent runs from scoring. But on the whole, over 162 games, I don't think this is a this is a problem. This is not a fatal flaw in the team. Um, if, kind of, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, it's just one last point. If you look at last year and and you um, sort a, a leaderboard based on on grounding into double plays. You'll find a lot of really good teams toward the top. Toronto was towards the top. Boston and Cleveland were toward the top, um, and those are, you know, those were very good offensive teams in 2016. Teams that went really far in the playoffs. Um, now, you know, conversely, you can you can also have a really successful offense that doesn't ground into double plays. The Cubs were towards the bottom of that. That you know, it doesn't mean that your team is is good or bad. But um, there are definitely ways to score a lot of runs and still ground it into a lot of double plays. And I think that's what we're seeing from the Red Sox this year. 
Right, and as we, we were looking at this a little bit when we were talking about this before we came on the air, we were noticing that the team that's right behind the Red Sox in terms of double plays is the Astros, who are running away with the best record in baseball right now and are also a very contact-heavy team. And, uh, you know, kind of after the uh, the success of the Royals, um, you know, pre-last year when the Royals were in back-to-back um, World Series, there was a lot written about how successful teams with sort of high contact rates were in the playoffs, um, how that was sort of the new formula. And I think that the Red Sox and the Astros certainly subscribed to that. Um, So when we're trying to diagnose whether or not this is a problem, you know, I think it's actually a symptom of something that's probably pretty positive going on with the team. So um, certainly not something that I'm going to put any mental – effort into uh worrying about yeah no i don't think it's anything that you need to worry about you know the there are much much bigger issues um you know as far as this team is is constructed um i i let off the article by talking about the the five to nothing loss the red sox had against chris i can't remember his last name herman maybe uh bergman i think for anyway uh it was the mariners like uh, a week ago um, they were trying to sweep the Mariners and they ended up losing five to nothing. And they made this sort of journeyman reliever who was starting the game <laughs> look uh, pretty good. But it was just one of those days where they got a bunch of guys on base and then hit to a bunch of double plays. I think they hit into double plays in the first four innings of the game. Um, those games are frustrating as heck, but they are also just going to happen. It's part of the way this, this offense uh, works. Indeed, it does, and the offense does work. So we know that now after May, um, which is which is also a positive. So um, we will be looking for continued success for this offense and uh, continued success of the pitching staff going forward. And the bullpen's been pretty good too, so we won't complain about that. Um, overall, this has been a a, a resoundingly positive uh, Red Sox podcast, which is nice. So. Uh, for all those out there that say that I harp on the negative too much, you're absolutely right. Uh, but, but not today. Um, so, guys, I think the the big takeaway here is that listener questions do exist, and you can submit them. So please uh, don't forget to do that. I'll remind you one more time. Just go on our site. Click on any of the Red Seat podcasts. There's a submission box. Um, please ask us questions because we always love it, and then we don't have to create as much material, and we can actually answer what you want us to uh, talk about um so so do that and um we only have two reviews both of them are five star reviews which is awesome but uh please log on to itunes or stitcher if you do enjoy our podcast or if you hate it too um and review us and uh tell me and matt and all the other guys what's great and what sucks about this podcast and we'll try and make that better or keep it the same or whatever you guys want us to do um and some of your suggestions we will just ignore, but please give us feedback as well. Um, other than that, Matt, I think uh, I think that's that's about it. You can find Matt on Twitter at, at MattyMatty2000, one of the better Twitter handles out there. You can find me at, at DevJake. And, um, yeah, we've got a whole all, lot of awesome baseball coming up these next six, six days. So tune into that stuff. And, uh, yeah. We'll be with you next time. Thanks so much, Matt, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. Talk to you soon. All right.